This message was recorded during a Cornerstone U class given at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Well, good morning. Thanks for coming to the Cornerstone U Real Change class. There's outlines and a picture, three trees picture we're going to briefly look at. We'll look at that picture a lot throughout this class. If you don't know what that is, you'll be very familiar with it at the end um, of these six weeks we have together. But uh, thanks for coming this morning. Thanks for... Um, you know, just wanting to come. There's, there's multiple reasons why we come to classes like this. Thanks for investing your time, your willingness to study, to pray, to learn more. Um, this might be, um, you might be here because you're interested in learning how to serve others, provide biblical counseling, what does it look like, might have an interest in it, or you might just be here eager to learn, like, how do I change? What does it look like to change as a Christian? What does scripture teach about this process? And whatever the reason, thanks for coming. Thanks for spending Sunday morning. Um, The class will be six weeks, I believe, five weeks, five or six weeks. And um, I'm going to teach this week. Jeff will teach next week, Slade. Um, He leads our biblical counseling team. He's ministry team leader. Bill's going to do um, July 16th, he's going to be doing one on personal devotions, which should be really good. And then I'll finish it out on July 23rd. So um, a resource where we stole the title, like we normally do, but um, where we got a lot of this content, it's a book called Real Change, uh, Becoming More Like Jesus in Everyday Life. And so if you'd like to purchase this, a lot of the material we'll cover is in here as well. And so you can have this as a tool, as a resource And um, just another, while we're recommending resources, um, especially for those of you who might be interested in biblical counseling and uh, just the role of what does that look like, Um, but really this is for anybody, so I don't want to pigeonhole it, but this is written for for biblical counselors, but it's Instruments in the Redeemer's Hand, and it's a must-read. So if you've never read it, we have it in the bookstore, you should buy it and read it. It is very helpful. And it's not only going to be helpful for you to serve others, but also how to, what does it look like for you yourself to change? And so I love this subtitle, People in Need of Change. So we begin with that, right? (laughs) We need change, helping people in need of change. And so I think that's a, recommend that to you as well. So um, let's, let me pray and then we will jump into the outline. So Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for um, all that it took, all that's taken place for us to have a class like, like this is purely amazing grace. Uh, for, for those who, for those, for all of us here who were dead in our sin, who hated God, who hated one another, who were walking alienated from you, but God, being rich in mercy, Lord. That's, that's why we're here this morning, because you are a God who is rich in mercy. You are a God who has begun a good work. You are a God who promises for those who are truly his that we will not, we will truly be changed. We will be transformed by the gospel. There is hope for all of us here this morning who have trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. Lord, you have already done the greatest miracle, giving us new life. And now, by your mercy and your grace, we can change and we can help those. We can be instruments in your hand, instruments of righteousness, instruments of your goodness, channels of your mercy. 
we can be that to others. So I pray that for each of us, Lord. I pray you would do a wonderful work in our own lives and you would use this class as we seek to serve others in our lives, in our families, in this church, wherever it might be, Lord. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. So, here we're going to jump right in. You should have got an outline in the back. There's a picture of three trees we'll go through a little bit. Um, but really what we, what we want to do with this class is, is hopefully help all of you have a vision. What, I mean, this idea of change. <laughs> People talk about, I want to change. Well, what does that mean? It can feel like a very daunting task. Can it? Doesn't it? Like this idea of, okay, where do I begin? Where do I turn to? I mean, that's why there, this is, if you look out in our, in our world, this is a thriving industry, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, there's plenty of money to be made in trying to help people change, trying to help people with their lives. And, but the question is, what produces real change? And I think that's why I like this title of, we're not, we're not talking about behavior modification. We're not just talking about a change in how we, just how we think. We're actually talking about a real deep change that only the gospel can, can bring. Because what we need, first and foremost, is not just change. We need to be born again. We need to be created. We need to be new creatures. And so the question is, okay, if I need to change, then what is my problem? And that's a huge question. That is a significant question. And the answer to that question, what is your problem, will then lead you down a path of, okay, what's going to be your focus? Where are you going to turn to? Where, who's, who are you going to be looking to? Whose counsel? Whose word? What's the goal in all of this? And so these are questions we're going to look at throughout this class. And what I hope is that it'll help, help you personally, but also help you serve those around you. So... The goal of counseling, the goal of what we're trying to do, the goal of change, personal and corporate transformation. First, the promise of change. Let's look, Philippians 1, Apostle Paul writes this, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. More. So our starting point when we think about biblical counseling or serving others or change, it's, it's for all of life. It's really, we have to start with God has begun a good work in us. Do we believe that? And that begins with the gospel. That begins with God intends for us as his children to experience in an ongoing way the blessings and the benefits of what Christ has purchased for us in order for us to overcome our fallenness, in order for us to overcome our sin, the remaining sin that exists. So yes, in Christ, there can be real victory. There can be real change. There can be real experience of God's goodness in our lives. And I think the reason you all are in this room is because one, I think that you're humble. You're here to say, I need help changing. So it's an expression of humility to say, hey, a class like this is saying, I want to change. Well, behind that desire of wanting means I need to change. <laughs> my life is not as it should be. My life, my, the where I want to be is not where it should be. So that's an expression of humility and God gives grace to the humble. 
And, and then there's joy in that. And there's a stability. So as we seek to change, there's a stability that, that our life gains as we seek to, here's what we're trying to seek to do, live closely to Jesus Christ. Living in the reality that we have been united to him by faith. So if you are in Christ, my friends, you have been counseled. If you are in Christ, you have been counseled. To some degree, you've been counseled by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God, he came to you and he said to you, you are going the wrong way. Look to Christ, turn to him, forsake your life of sin and follow Christ. The Holy Spirit regenerated your heart to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So each and every person in this room has been counseled, has been spoken to, has been addressed by God himself. And if we don't start there, then we are, we are in the wrong spot. We have to realize this is what God has done. This is his work, and this is what he is going to continue to do. So the same Holy Spirit wants to take his word, what he has spoken in Scripture, and he wants to, in an ongoing way, work to make us like who? Like our Savior. That's the goal. We want to look like Jesus. We want to live like Jesus. We want to love what God loves and we want to hate what God hates. And so the same spirit that breathed new life into us, he doesn't just stop there, but he says, there's more. This is just the beginning. This is just the beginning of the work that I'm going to do. And he's given us means. He's given us one another. He has given us himself. He has given us the church so that we might become like him, so that we might be change, that he might not only say, yes, I'm going to conform you to the image of Christ, but I'm going to comfort you in your trials. I am going to be with you in the midst of your heartache. I am going to bring an expression of my care for you in the midst of suffering and trials and sin and failure. All these things is I'm going to give you my people. I'm going to give you my church, my people that I am, which I am building, and I'm going to equip people to serve you and by my spirit to work in you. And the Lord is eager to use us to do that as well. And he intends to do that not only in you, but in our church community. Philippians 1.6 is a promise to a church. Philippians 1.9 is a prayer to a church. Remember that. This is not just a letter to an individual. No, this is a letter to a church, to a group of people. So this isn't just a yes me and Jesus moment. No, this is a me and the people of God moment that God who began a good work in you, yes, in the church, will bring it to completion. And he wants to see our love for one another to abound more and more and more. So, so much of what we do for others, it comes out of the wisdom of our own experience, doesn't it? There, there's a sense to where so much of what we do, what have we received? What have we seen? What has been given to us and believed in God's word. These, these experience we've had of God and what has been spoken to us through his word, through the mouths of others, we take that and then we're able to change and we're able to serve others. So that doesn't come to an end until we are with him. This life of faith, this life of change, but the promise is there's a day coming. There is a day coming. And that's what should keep us going is that we live this day in light of that day. There, there is that day coming. There is a day coming where we will see him and we will be like him. And then we will enjoy an eternity of knowing and learning of an infinite God 
who we will never plumb the depths to know of all who he is, the immeasurable riches of his grace. He is beginning to show us that now, but that is what we will see and experience for eternity. That's why we live today. That's why we change today. That's why there's hope for today. And so we have not only do we see this, this promise of change, but there's pictures of change. So 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So what I love is this, this idea of we are becoming what we are beholding, right? That's what this idea of 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 3.18 is getting at. So what we all with unveiled face, what are we doing? We're beholding the glory of the Lord. And because of that beholding, because of who we are setting our eyes on, then what does that mean? We're being transformed into the same image. So as we think about pictures of change, as we think about how does this process work, we have to begin by asking the question, what, are, what have we set our heart and our mind on? What are we beholding? Are we focused on our circumstances? Are we focused on this world? Are we focused on our failures, our sin? Are we focused on our past? Are we, are we focused on the future that we wish could be and was and isn't? What, what are we beholding? At times, what we behold is what we truly love, what we treasure, what captivates us. The things that we behold at times is what we believe is truly worth living for. So we see these pictures of change. What We resemble what we revere. What do you revere? What do you love? For the Christian, we're new creations in Christ. The old has gone away, the new has come. We who were once consumed with ourselves have now experienced the freedom of self-forgetfulness. Or at least we're working toward that, right? We've been set free from it. We still struggle with that, but that's our goal. We're trying to behold. We're not just trying to behold change. We're trying to behold Christ. And as we behold Christ, then change will come. That's the promise. There's no, there's no little asterisk there. You behold him, and if you have your quiet time every day, and you do this and that, then you'll change. No, as we behold him. That's what we're trying to do. If you want to change, if you want to help others change, then you, you, you help them see Jesus. You help them see Christ. You help them look and remember who he is and the work he has done and the work he is doing. So the pathway to change, number three, Ephesians 4. Jeff did a wonderful job preaching on this a few weeks ago and just this vision for the church. So I'll read a portion of this. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, and when each is working properly, makes the body grow. So in Ephesians 4, the risen Christ, so we're thinking about Jesus himself says, he, that he is Christ, he gave, what did Jesus think we need? Well, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, teachers, he gave us the church. He gave, that's what he said we needed. 
when he's thinking of this pathway to change, this idea of what do we need? Well, I'm going to give the church and there's going to be an order and a design and a way of things going about. There's going to be men who are equipping the saints for the work of ministry. So this is what I want to see accomplished through my church is I'm going to work in people's lives individually, but I'm going to bring them together. And then God's wisdom, that's what Ephesians, that's what the that in Ephesians 3, 3 maybe, I don't know, 5, um, the angels, when they look down and they see the church, what they see, what do they see? They see the wisdom of God. That's what it says. They see the wisdom of God. They see this idea of, whoa, what a powerful picture. The angelic beings are seeing the church being built, God's people being formed. Are you amazed with that? Are you amazed? Are we amazed? Do we see this, this picture that Ephesians 4, is that what we're amazed by? Is that what we're building people into? Is that part of the solution that we see for wanting to change? Is, hey, are you part of a church that is preaching the truth and pointing other people to Jesus? Is that, do we see that as part of our need? Do you see Sunday morning as an opportunity? God could change me today. Today, as God's word is preached and proclaimed, as I have fellowship, banana pudding on the lawn even, you could have a conversation. You could have a conversation that God could use to change your life. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Or is Sunday just kind of a, hey man, this is what we do as Christians. We just kind of come, sing the songs, hear the sermon. You know, hey, good to see you, good to see you. All right, off to the week. Or is it, whoa. Each, God has given us a, a people and a day for us to come and to be changed by. He uses today. This, he equips Christians and he gives them ministry. He involves every one of us to build up a local church. He is building the church and he uses us as instruments to accomplish that into maturity, unity, stability. That's what he's seeking to do. So he's given us Christ exalting speech. He's given us counsel. We're able to communicate truths to one another. We're able to point people with our words to him. So when speaking God's truth and love, what are we doing? We're looking for Christ-centered growth. So we're bringing these truths to bear on people's lives so that they can grow where? Up into him, who is the head. So this isn't about us. This isn't about our counsel. This isn't about how great am I looking in my life? Is it in order? And do I have everything I want? Or No. The goal of all this is, am I being built up into Christ, who is the head of the church? If I can look back on the people who have influenced me the most in my life, it, have, it is those who have continually and faithfully done this. They haven't had the most eloquent words. They haven't had the most rich vocabulary. They haven't had a very big following on social media. What they did is they came into my life and they listened and they pointed me to him. That's what I need. Is that what you need? Is that what, is that what you're excited to give to others? Does that excite you? It's exciting. So this is what Paul means when he says in Ephesians 4, we're going to speak the truth in love. We're going to help others to grow and walk into Christ. So this whole process of transformation, it is Christ-centered. It's Christ has to be at the center of all this, not my counsel or this counsel. Or whatever. No, it is, is this council, is the end of it? Is it trying to build people into Christ? My issue with a lot of counseling that exists outside of the church is that we're trying, they're trying to build 
people into themselves, into some system which I am the sinner, and if I do these things, then I will get the result that I want. And my biggest problem in this life is me. I don't need to be built more into Jake Simmons. Jake Simmons, I got plenty of problems. What I need is I need something outside of myself. I need something somewhere to go. I don't need someone saying, well, if you just think about this, or if you do this, and if you, these behave, no. There's, no, don't get me wrong. There can be wisdom and common grace for things in those counseling scenarios, and, and there is for it. But don't miss what I'm saying here. But what I need, what we need as biblical-minded Christians, as we look at the human condition, and as we think about real change, what we're needing to address is the heart. What we need to address is our sin. What people need to hear is you, are, you have an anger problem because you are selfish and you are not getting what you want. Yes, there are other things that might have experienced in your life and we're going to look at all those and we're going to see how God is going to work through those. But do you truly see that your biggest problem in this world is yourself? If you look at the Apostle Paul's life, he was beaten, he was whipped, he was chastised, he was persecuted. And what does he say? He says that he was the chief of sinners. He didn't look at his life, his circumstances. He said, no, when I look at my life, what I see is I'm the chief of sinners. But this this saying is, is deserving and trustworthy of full acceptance that Christ came into this world to save people like me. And, and if he came to rescue me, what that means today is that I have hope. Is that there's promise for hope. So our motivation for, for doing this class, for, for doing all these things, is that we want to see people change. We want to see this picture from Ephesians 4. We want to see a church biblically defined, a church whose members grow up into Christ, who's, who is the head. We want people walk into this church. What I want them to see is, oh, wow, Cornerstone's great. No, I want, us to, I want them to see, like, man, these people love Jesus. These people are serious about Christ. They love him. They love to talk about him. They love to point me in and ask how I'm doing. Then in the conversation, at some point, we're going to talk about Christ. That's what I want people to see. And it's not forced, right? It's not this like we're trying to make something. No, it's just you prick us and it's just like, hey, let me tell you. Man, I've been struggling this week. <laughs> You've had a bad week. Can I pray for you? I need prayer. There's just a leaning forward in our hearts and our dispositions to where we're trying to be and embrace who Christ is and what he's done for us. His love, his holiness, his servant-heartedness, his sacrifice, his concern for the loss, his wisdom, his peace, his righteousness. Oh, may people see that radiating in our lives because he's, he's, he's begun a good work in us. He's doing that. So that glorious vision moves us toward the details. It helps us as we think about that big picture vision, what God is doing. Then we can get down into the minute details of life, the mundane of life. So this class, it's, it's to help us see and appreciate that God wants to bring his word into direct involvement in our lives. Romans 12, it talks about that it's through the word that lasting change is produced. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So we want the word of God to, to change us, to help us. 
We counsel people on a day-to-day basis with friends, family, others in our community group. This is what Jeff referred to as personal counseling relationships. Some of you, you've participated in formal counseling. You have a history in counseling. But we all, what, what we're all looking to is God's word and its application in our lives. And, and, and may, may we all find ways we can grow in applying God's word to our lives. May we always be learning. May we always be seeking, looking to others to help us as we consider how might we change? How might we change? If, if this vision, if this idea of counseling, it may seem daunting or it may just kind of seem ordinary. Some people, it's just kind of like, really, that's it? This, this, this is what we do? That's it? I love what Ed Welch says. He says, God is pleased to use ordinary, so ordinary people. We're all ordinary here. Sorry if you didn't know that. We're all ordinary. <laughs> just gonna, ordinary people. But here's what God is pleased to do. He's using ordinary people ordinary conversations, and extraordinary and wise love to do the heavy lifting for the kingdom. That's what God is pleased to do. Is that what we want to be used by? Is that what we want to see? He goes on, in our era, we consult experts. No, I need the expert. I need the professional. I need the specialist. But look at your own history. Look at your own history. At times you need experts, professionals, and specialists. We're not, so hear me, I'm not trying to deny that. But there can just be this over, there can be the elevation. Like, no, this is what we got, I got to have this. Look at your own history of having been helped. It's likely, what you'll notice, is very few experts among those who have helped you. Who have really helped you? Were they professional counselors or specialists? Probably not. Maybe, probably not. Most often, they were friends. Regular, everyday people in your life. Friends are the best helpers. They come prepackaged with compassion and love. All they need is wisdom, and that is available to everyone. So there is a sense where I just want us to hear that. I want you to hear that. This isn't just, okay, well, this is all, this is the counselors do all this stuff. It's kind of this small, no. Some of the best counselors are faithful friends, people who truly care. So if, if you're here and you have a friend and you're being faithful to them and you're giving them counsel, you are, God is pleased to do his heavy lifting through that. Do not discount that. Do not think that I can't help this person. Now help might mean, hey, I have this is a little over my head. I don't know what to do here. And it's going to get them help. But, but faith, do not, do not minimize Do not minimize the role that just being a faithful, wise friend can play in someone's life. So let's let's move on. The hope that pervades Christ-centered counseling. So 2 Peter 1, his divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of, his, of the divine nature. Do not pass over that. So that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Have you thought about that recently? Have you considered that you, that what he has done, his divine power granted all things. He's called you to his glory and excellence, which he has granted to us, his precious and great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. What? Does that mean, <laughs> but it's, I mean, isn't that amazing to think about? Have you thought about that recently? 
That's what I love about God's word. That's why people need to read this stuff. You could think about that for a while. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world, Satan would love for us just to stay in the world. Love the world. No, he wants to. He, we, have been, we have escaped from that because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, Knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. For these qualities are yours and are increasing. They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's an amazing passage. I'd encourage you to think about that and meditate on it. Underline it, circle it. Think about things in your own life. I love how Peter goes from these grand, glorious realities to, hey, let's talk about self-control. <laughs> oh. <laughs> let's, let's, let's talk about steadfastness. Let's talk about brotherly affection. You know, let's, let's talk about these things. Let's talk about these, yes, you're partakers of the divine nature, but, but that's entering into real life, living in a fallen world, with remaining sin, with issues going on. We want to see these virtues at place. So power to change by the Spirit, we experience divine power to pursue and experience godliness. That's why we must graciously but firmly push back when we hear someone say, "Just it's, this is hopeless. Don't ever let someone say that. Graciously push back on that. If you think that, I want to graciously look you in the eye and say, there's hope. There's hope. Don't believe that lie. Don't meditate on that. Don't hold on to that. Some of the best things we do when we help people is identify the lies that they're believing. Some of the best thing I've seen is like, do you think that's true? Where, where, who's, is that from the Lord? Is that how God wants you to think? Is that, is, is that from the Lord? Do you, is, that, is that what he has said? Is that what his word says to you right now? No, he doesn't say that. Who's saying that? What lie is, is behind that? Hope, hopelessness is not about success It's not about failure, effort, or history. That's where we like to go, isn't it? Our success, our failure, our effort, our history. Yeah, if we go there, then I'm pretty hopeless. (laughs) I mean, I'm just looking in. I'm like, yeah, I don't got a lot of hope for Jake Simmons if Jake Simmons is the answer here. Hopeless, though. Hopeless, more than a relational or emotional term, it's a theological term. And so here's what I mean by that. It says that a problem is bigger than God. That's what hopelessness says. It eliminates God from the picture. If we say we have no hope, then we are, then we are saying something. You are saying something about God in that moment. And we need to see that. And we need to help others see that. And we need to repent of it. And we need to enjoy the gift of God's forgiveness. And remember that the Christian's hope never fails. Never fails. We have the privilege of dispelling that lie with God's word in the gospel. That's so important. Partakers of change. His word is the means by which we partake of the divine nature. Here's what the ESV study Bible, I thought was a helpful point on this. They never become part of God. But amazingly, that's about this being partakers of the divine nature never become part of God, but amazingly, they share in his nature as they become increasingly like him. So it's amazing to consider that we become 
the household of God in the sense of our, and what I mean by that is our, we, God comes in tabernacles with us. He lives among us, but then his spirit comes and dwells with inside us. And that's what Paul points to when he talks to, to men who were going to be with a prostitute. How, how, how can you go and join yourself to a prostitute when, when the spirit of God dwells within you? How, how can you do that? We, through the spirit, become partakers of the divine nature. The great promises include the promises Peter identifies in his Pentecost sermon in Acts 2, especially the outpouring of the Spirit. So we, through the Spirit, we have been partakers of change. His divine nature through the Spirit is at work within us. This process of change, this hope empowers our pursuit of transformation and growth into a greater knowledge of Christ, experiencing his character and fruitfulness in his Servant. So we live in a fallen world. We experience the effects of sin outwardly, inwardly. There's troubles like fear, anxiety, anger. Sometimes it's sin that just seem to dominate, seem poised to devastate. There's relational hardship that they, we can become estranged. Those we know can become estranged. There's suffering, grief. There's loss. There's suffering from being sinned against. All these things. And, and at times, not only do we struggle with that personally when we deal with those things, but we can feel inadequate as you sit across from someone and just listen to what they're walking through. You can just feel inadequate. How am I going to help you? <laughs> what do I have? <laughs> but we know, and what you have, what, if you've ever sat across from one and cared for them, simple listening, simple word, reminder, a word aptly spoken to you, which Proverbs says is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Just a word, just a statement. Don't need to fix anything. Times they just need listening and hope, truth. Remember this. It's a process. We need the Lord. So, so as we think about biblical counseling, what is it? Romans 15, 14 says, I myself am satisfied with you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. Proverbs 13, 20, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools suffers harm. So, so if we zoom out, seek to define counseling in a broad sense, we do this every day. We speak, we try to be wise friends. It's just in the sense that we're always counseling people. In our, if we have a relationship if you have friendships, if you're speaking into people's lives, you are providing counsel or you are being counseled. So this is just, this happens. You may not recognize it, but this happens. We, if you are speaking the truth in love, as Ephesians 4 says, if you're helping people grow up every way into Christ, then you are doing biblical counseling. You are counseling people or you are receiving that. Colossians 1 says, it's him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So biblical counseling is in one sense, it's just the normal Christian life. That's just what it is. Real change, the process of change, this is part of the normal Christian life, getting help and giving help. Biblical counseling involves God's people ministering God's word to specific troubles for the goal of sanctification, for change, for conformity to Christ. Biblical counseling is personal ministry through intentional conversations in everyday life. So if you just think about it, what we're about to have here this morning is we are going to be counseled by the word. We are going to be addressed. Change will happen. Fellowship will take place. 
We will in our singing. What I love about singing is it's not just a me and Jesus moment where, no, we are, pro, think about this. We are singing songs to one another. So I'm not just singing to the, I am singing to the Lord, but we're joining our voices. And as I turn and I see people singing, I don't know if you've ever done this, do it. Don't, don't stare. Don't make people uncomfortable. <laughs> don't just kind of, right. And they're like, wait, what are you doing? Um, but if you know people, if you know people's story, if you know, if you know, what I love is I know certain individuals in our church who are just going through very hard things. And I love, I catch, I, I can see, I catch them singing. I catch them proclaiming this. They're, they're proclaiming to me what they're doing. Now they're singing, but they're singing truth and they are lifting hands and they are, or they're just praying and fighting the fight of faith. And what, what that's, that ministers to me. That counsels me. That, that, that's happening even in our singing. As we're seeking to sing God-centered, scripture-rich songs, we are, even in those moments, we are being used as instruments of grace to proclaim truth to one another. And God's spirit is at work. So even in the Sunday morning context, we are being counseled. It's in these everyday moments, objects of mercy become instruments of grace whether it's in coffee shops, over dinner, community group meeting. We find ourselves in moments we have the opportunity to love others well. Through our questions, our counsel, we can restore in others a God-centered, Christ-exalting, scripturally thoughtful way of life. So it's in these everyday moments. So I think that's what we're fighting for people to see with this counsel from the Psalms. This is happening all the time. There are these public, these personal Moments that God is working. We're giving counsel to one another. It's these objects. objects. So who are the objects of mercy? We are. <laughs> We've been objects of mercy. And then we can become instruments of God's grace in these moments where we speak the truth in love. And we listen. We show people Christ. We, re- we, we ourselves receive Christ. And we invite others. So if you're here this morning and you're more like, I, I need help. I need to change. And what I hope what you're seeing through this is change is available. Help is available. But, there, but you have to bring people into that. You have to humble yourself and you have to ask for help. And you have to be vulnerable and honest. And you have to find people who, who, who will speak these truths in love. And at times it's not just sugar-coated nice things. Sometimes it's, hey, I, I think you're living in sin. It's hard. Hard truths that we have to hear have to be confronted but it's spoken in love, redemptive moments. Ed Welch says this, having a keen sense of God's calling to minister to each other, this is about what biblical counseling involves. You have a keen sense of God's calling to minister to each other, and then you have the skills to do it. So you have a keen sense of God's call to minister. God has moved us, so we move towards one another. God has moved toward us, so we move towards one another. And then you just have the skill. God calls all of us to be biblical counselors. I hope everyone hears that. He calls all of us to do that. He calls every believer to know how to relate his word to one another's lives so that every believer in every congregation grows more like Christ. We want to see that, all of us. So what about a more narrow definition? Biblical counseling, narrowly defined, delivers the concentrated discipleship that all Christians need at various times. And what I mean by concentrated, there's times in our lives where we just need help. 
in, very, in more significant formal ways. We need a process, a clear process that is laid out, that is formal, that is with someone that can speak specifically into our situation. But I love this idea. It's discipleship, concentrated discipleship. This isn't like detached from what God is doing in all other areas of my life. This is all about like God is bringing his, continuing to bring his word to bear in my life, but in a concentrated form. So it's not like that all of my, the rest of my discipling relationships and following Christ stops and now I got to go, no, this is all part of that. It's just in a more concentrated form. You're getting counsel. You're getting help. Someone is sitting next to you and saying, here is what we're doing. Here is the path. Here is the journey. Here, here, here is what we are doing. Here is why I'm, you are stuck. Here is why growth stagnates. Here's where you're failing to see what is going on in your life. Here's the sin that so easily entangles us. And we try to help people walk through that in a more formal setting. So, so we need those. We need those who are equipped and who are trying to grow our biblical counseling team members. We, we met last week. And um, these are just wonderful individuals who are working hard to come together, to serve people in the church, to say, hey, how can we grow in doing this? They're taking classes. There's some of them are here this morning. They're just like, they're here because, yes, we want to help. We want to grow. We want to be a part of what God is doing in people's lives. So even in a f- more formal process, God is doing that work. So a summary, biblical counseling involves God's people ministering God's word to specific troubles for the goal of Christ-like transformation. Empowered by his spirit, applying God's word, we show others Christ, how he saves, how he sustains, and how he sanctifies us by his grace and for his glory. So this, this, this thing moves into the three trees model. So this is very foundational. This is from CCF. This is what, this is just a helpful picture, a paradigm to think about change in your Life. And this is what we're going to be walking through over these weeks. So that big picture vision of, okay, what is all this for? What are all we doing? Well, this is kind of the, on the ground, what we're going to talk about. This is, so I'd encourage you to look through it. You can, you start here and you just move your way through. What is the heat of your situation? What is going, what has God brought in my life or what is going on in my life that the circumstances, the sin, the suffering, so what is this circumstance producing? What is, is there bad fruit? How do I respond to this? How do, what, is, what is this heat, the situation? What is the bad fruit? And then you go in here. Okay, so there's bad fruit. So what's underneath that? What, what am I wanting? What am I believing? What are the lies that I'm holding on to? So we're not just going to look at fruit, but behind those fruit, there's, there are these lies, these things that you're believing underneath it. And then as I see that, oh, well, that is sin. That's just, now oh, I need to change my thinking. No, it, it involves confession and repentance, hope. So we go to the cross. We go to the gospel. We go to our Redeemer. So who is God? I'm not believing truly th- true things about God. So I need to remember who he is and what he's done and the forgiveness I have. So we go to him. And we, we experience through the Spirit, we the Spirit, these streams of living water, it produces in us this change. And then, what should we want? What should I believe? As I experience God's forgiveness, I'm able to, through His Word, bring about truth that then leads to good fruit. So instead of having thorns, which Slade will teach on, we get to have good fruit. 
And then when this heat comes, instead of having thorns, there's going to be good fruit that God, through his spirit, the fruits of the spirit, I want to sow, right? This Galatians 5 and 6, I want to have fruit of the spirit, but it takes sowing. It takes sowing. You got to sow to the spirit, don't, and then you're going to reap. And then you see all, so it's a big picture of that. So it's a helpful paradigm as you're helping people to think about what is going on in their life and, and what, even what's going on in yours. So use it personally. And that's what we're going to go through in much more detail. So I need to stop. Thanks for coming. If you have any questions, let me know. I hope it's been helpful introductory introduction. And I hope it gives you faith for what God is doing in your life. And, how he, and, and if you are interested in pursuing and talking more about the counseling team and biblical counseling here at the church, please grab me and let me know. And there's a process for that. And we can begin talking about that. So, all right. Have a wonderful Sunday. You've been listening to a Cornerstone U class given at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Cornerstone U exists to have our minds renewed by the Word of God, to see who God is, and to live in light of His Word and Gospel. To find out more about previous Cornerstone U classes, visit us on the web at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com forward slash cornerstone U.